Good morning. First of all, I'd uh, <clears throat> like to thank Chelsea for the design and the verse on the front of the bulletin. You must have read my mind. A few weeks ago, uh, I was rummaging through the box of books at the back that uh, Mary had called from the library, and I came across this book that I found there, and the title of the book is Nobody's Perfect, and uh, I immediately felt better. What a relief to know that nobody's perfect, right? I started paging through the book, and uh, the author, in nine chapters, he writes about nine different Bible characters whose lives weren't always uh, spectacular or glamorous, whose, uh, as he puts it, whose halos sometimes slipped a little or a lot. And the title of chapter one in the book is Being a Successful Failure. The book is by Terry Powell. My mind immediately went to uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and I, I thought the author would naturally include Peter in one of his chapters, but he doesn't. And so I decided, well, I'm going to make it this chapter 10 of Terry Powell's book. My apologies to the author. But I'm going to talk about Peter this morning being a successful failure. Too, of, too often, I think, we see people in the, in the Bible as super spiritual. Uh, we tend to feel inadequate in comparison, and we tend to think that God can't use us as he used them. We shouldn't think that way at all. Too often uh, that is the case and we become, we become discouraged. Let's, let's not let that happen. God can use anyone who is committed to him. So I trust that what God has given me to say this morning would be an encouragement to all of us, not just to myself. We've all experienced the one step forward, two step back routine in our Christian life, haven't we? I think you can all identify with that. And society labels us as failures if we don't measure up to its standards and we compare ourselves with others to see if we've made it. But mark this down. Jesus doesn't withdraw his love from you and from me when we make mistakes. And we all do. In God's eyes, how we respond to Jesus is the difference between success and failure. C.S. Lewis writes that the devil wins when he gets Christians to become preoccupied with their failures. So let's, let's be careful in this regard. Let's look at our scripture for this morning which was read earlier, Matthew 14, 22 to 33, a very familiar story. Let's see what we can learn from Peter's experience. Verse 25 and 26. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, that is Jesus, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. The previous verse, verse 24, tells us that the boat was being battered by the waves and the wind was strong. When, 
were Jesus' disciples, do you think, in the storm because they were on the lake outside of the will of God? No, they weren't. Verse 22 says, He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. He had sent them into the storm, we might say. And what was Jesus doing during this time? Verse 23 says he went to pray. I have a sneaking suspicion that he was praying that his disciples wouldn't miss the lesson on faith that they were about to experience. When the disciples went to see, their master went to prayer. With Jesus praying for you, you're safer, someone has said this, this is a quote, with Jesus praying for you, you're safer on the stormy sea in the Lord's will than on land out of God's will. Never judge, never judge your security on the basis of circumstances. In the hour of their need, Jesus came to them and they were afraid because they didn't recognize him. How sad. Why did they not recognize him? I believe it was because they weren't looking for him. I think they were too busy trying to save themselves. They were concentrating on the storm. We often, when we're in a desperate situation, we often tend to call on God almost as a last resort, right? We get busy trying to solve the problem ourselves. Don't recognize that Jesus is right there and he's ready to help us. And we try desperately to solve the problem on our own before we call on him for help. I recall reading about a church prayer and testimony meeting. I think I've shared this story before, maybe in Sunday school, but forgive me for that. I think it's a great story. I recall reading about this church uh, prayer and testimony meeting. A lady, a lady gets up, gives her testimony. She says, I got a story this, tonight. She says, my husband drives a very busy route to work every day. And just yesterday, he was in a terrible accident. He should have been killed. But God was with him and spared his life. And everyone in the audience, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know how it goes, eh? And there's nothing wrong with that. But then another lady gets up, and she told her story, and she says, my husband takes that same route to work every day. And I would like to give thanks and recognize the Lord for protecting my husband from ever having an accident. You get it? Recognize the, God, the presence of God not only in the storm, but in the calm as well. And there was no response from the audience. How sad. Recognize God's presence in the fire, in the lion's den, in this case in the storm, and definitely also in the calm. And closely related then, the second point I'd like to make, closely related to number one, they were afraid. First of all, they didn't recognize God, uh, Jesus' presence when he came across the water to them. They were afraid. Fear is the result 
of not believing or grasping the fact that the Lord is always there? Do I really believe that Jesus is always with me? Do you really believe that? Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, God makes a promise there. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Fear and faith, someone has said, cannot live in the same heart. Fear blinds our eyes to the presence of God. What are your fears this morning? Maybe you're fearful. Life can be rough sometimes, can it? Sometimes we find ourselves in trying circumstances and we begin to be fearful. Don't let fear spoil what faith started. Someone has said also, don't tell God how big your giants are. Tell your giants how big your God is. There was a speaker, it just sometimes happens when you're, when you're on a topic and then you, you listen for things and all of a sudden things come in. You listen on TV or you read something in, in a devotional, and I'll come to that later, but this morning there was a speaker on TV talking about fear. And uh, fear not, he says, or a derivative of that appears 365 times in your Bible. Isn't that something? Once for every day of the year. Fear not. I thought that was good. So I wrote it, added it to my notes. I read a story recently also about a fellow. Uh, he, was, he was new to Canada. And he wasn't familiar with our winters in Canada. He was walking somewhere. And uh, he came to a river, frozen over of course. It was winter time, But... He wasn't familiar with ice or frozen water, and he knew he had to get to the other side. So filled with fear and shaking like a leaf, he lay down on the ice and squirmed, started to squirm his way across the river. And he was partly partway across the river when suddenly he, he hears the roar of engines, and he sees a line of pickup trucks with trailers and fishing huts on the on them coming, in, coming down the river and he looks and he gets up with a big smile on his face and strides across. Confidence, right? Fear, confidence, the contrast. When I know, right? When I know. Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why not? For thou art with me. And Jesus says to his disciples, It is I, do not be afraid. And so Jesus makes himself known to his disciples as he will to us. Number three, don't run ahead of God. Don't run ahead of God, especially on water. Verse 28 and 29, Jesus said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. It would have been, we all all will agree, it would have been foolish of Peter to step over the side of that boat if Jesus had not said, come. Don't run ahead of God. 
Peter could no more walk on smooth water than he could on waves. I'm not a swimmer. My best option would have been to drop to the bottom and run for shore. But but he was sustained by the power of the Lord himself. And that power is just as great in the storm as it is in the calm. In verse 28, Peter says to him, command me to come to you. Peter knew how big his God was, right? Peter believed that if Jesus invites me to come, I can do this. That's how big his faith was at that moment, at least. Command me to come. And he came without hesitation. Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord gives you and gives me the strength to do whatever is necessary in the circumstances he leads us into or allows to happen in our lives. Sometimes we put ourselves into situations the Lord has not directed us to, and then we wonder why we can't cope, right? But if, to, if God, you know that God is calling you to do something, to go or to come, he will see the end. He will see you through to the end. Don't run ahead of God. Number four, have confidence when he calls. It takes a person of real faith to leave the boat and walk on the water. I can't even imagine. I'm sorry, I guess my faith isn't that big. Leave the boat and walk on the water. Confidence, I can do this. Our African friends, they're not here this morning, but our African friends apparently had been told back home in their country that in Canada, people actually do walk on water. At least at certain months of the year, they do. (laughs) I heard this story recently, anyway. Confidence. I remember when our kids were little, and uh, I'm sure some of you have done this. There's a lot of young young parents in the crowd, and you're probably going to do this now that I suggest it. I used to take our little kids when they were small, and I would set them on the kitchen counter or on the kitchen table, and then I'd, I'd encourage them to jump. I'd hold out my arms, and I'd say, jump, you know, and they would. And you, you know what that does to the heart of a father when his little child jumps? into his arms, trusting completely that daddy will catch me. Some of you have done that, and some of you are going to do that someday, I'm sure. I remember uh, uh, Max Licato tells a story when he did that with, with his little girl. I don't know which, which of Max Licato's books that's in. It's, I've got it in my library. But he tells a story when he did this with his little daughter. He would put her on the kitchen table, and, and he'd get her to jump into his arms. And she did. And then he said to her, he says, her older sister came into the room, and uh, half-grown sister, like she was almost an adult. And so he encouraged his little daughter to jump to her older sister's arms. She'll catch you, just like Daddy did. You, You jump to your sister's arms. And the little girl just stood there and refused And the more they coaxed her, the more she refused. No, I'm not going to jump. And then they asked her, why will you not jump? 
to your sister's arms. And her answer? I only jumped to strong arms. What a lesson. What a lesson for me and what a lesson for you. I only jumped to strong arms. Let's, let's imitate that little girl. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, underneath are the everlasting arms. Coming back to Peter, I, I give him a great deal of credit for his demonstration of faith. I think we all do. I don't know if any of us would, be, would have been brave enough to step outside that boat. He didn't doubt, at, at, <clears throat> excuse me, at not, at not initially at least. We talk about weak faith and we talk about strong faith. But what, what is really important is the focus of my faith. What is the focus of my faith? Or who is the focus of my faith? Someone has said that a strong faith in a weak bridge will not get you to the other side, but a weak faith in a strong bridge will. It all has to do with the focus of our faith. Where do I put my trust? Where is Jesus calling you or calling me to come or to go today? Are we ready to go believing that he can sustain us? He will never call us to do what we are incapable of doing with his help. Remember that doing right is better than doing well. Peter didn't do so well, but he did the right thing by obeying. Walking on the water, Peter knew Christ's power. And sinking in the water, he knew his own weakness. Number five, 30, 31 and, 30 and 31. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When we do our best in faith, and sometimes our best isn't that great, Excuse me. When we do our best in faith to obey our Lord, he won't let us sink. Sinking does not mean that it's game over. Charles Spurgeon said that sinking times are praying times and short prayers are long enough. Shortest prayer in the Bible. Peter's prayer, shortest prayer in the Bible. Three words. Lord, save me. One, one pastor I read about, he kind of made a joke about this. He said, some of us pastors, he says, our, lo- our, lo- our long-winded prayers, he says, by the time we get to that request, he said, we- Peter would have been to the bottom of the lake. <laughs> Three words, Lord, save me. <clears throat> and when he prayed that, everything changed. Now everything changes, right? Everything changes. Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs Peter's hand 
and pulls him up. And Peter walks with Jesus, and the storm is over, and fear is replaced by worship. We'll come to that a little later. Everything changes. Peter had begun to sink because he saw two ways instead of one. One way was across the waves to Jesus. The other way was to the bottom of the lake. That's what doubt is. Doubt is seeing two ways. Faith sees only one way. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus had said, come, and when Jesus says, come, and we obey, in spite of failure along the way, he will accomplish his purpose. Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter, and they walked together to the boat. When Peter's faith faltered, he grabbed the hand of Jesus. We have... uh, we have a lot of expressions regarding hand uh, that we use almost daily. Let, let me lend you a hand, or would you lend me a hand, or give me a hand. We talk about that. Uh, so I did a little bit of a, a little bit of research on the hand of on the hands of Jesus. Some of the verses that were used, where we are given a story of where where Jesus' hands are employed, and I found it quite interesting. There's quite, there's quite a quite a number of them. He touched the leper with his hand and healed him. He took Simon's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law's hand, and her fever left her. He took the hand of a young girl and raised her to life. Isaiah forty-one thirteen: For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. That was in yesterday morning's Daily Bread. Another, I think it was another confirmation from God for me. I think it's it's yesterday's Daily Bread, whoever uses it, you can look it up, it's right there, that verse out of Isaiah. A saint is not a man who never fails. A saint is a man who gets up with the Lord's help and goes on again. Storms in our lives teach us to trust in the Lord and to obey him and to obey his word no matter what the circumstances may be. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence but obeying in spite of consequences. Many Christians have the idea that obedience to God's will produces smooth sailing. And we hear even preachers, especially on TV, kind of talk that way. I'm sorry, but that's not what the Bible says. What does Jesus say? John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus' own words. Can't get around it. But his word also says... When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And Jesus comes to us in the storms of our life to calm us and to calm our fears. So lesson six then, the Lord's presence stills the storm. Verse 32, 
they got into the boat and the wind stopped. Wherever Jesus is, the wildest storm becomes a calm. Is your life stormy today? In your family? In your marriage? At your job? A storm regarding your health? Whatever it is, Jesus can calm that storm. Susie and I visited with a young mother just a few weeks ago, and she shared with us about her young teenage daughter suffering from severe depression. And she'd rather not be alive. She has expressed that. That's a storm. And even with that, we need to go to God with that. And he can calm even a storm as serious as that. Jesus can storm, can calm whatever storm we face. And this experience of Peter's and the disciples can be an encouragement to us when we go through the storms of life, I believe. Seventh point. This is a lot more than three-point sermon, isn't it? What else can we learn from this passage? Verse 33. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Worship is the product of faith. The disciples knew that Jesus was the son of God, but after the storm ceased, they knew it even better. And they worshipped him. Now their testimony was clear. Certainly you are God's son. Maybe we need to go through a storm sometimes to get to know Jesus in a deeper way. And we ought to emulate the disciples in this, that we worship him for what he means to us and what he does for us. And so Peter's experience turned out to be a blessing not only for himself but for the other disciples as well. When they witnessed Jesus' power, they could only worship him. Let's stop here for a second. What, what is worship? We often talk about, uh, when we use the word worship, a worship service or worship music, etc., etc. Et That's how we kind of segregate it. Worship is a lot more than that. Years ago, I read this little comment, and I wrote it in the back of my Bible. Anything I do that brings pleasure to God is worship. Anything I do that gives pleasure to God is worship. And lastly, and I don't have a verse for this, I'm reading between the lines here kind of adding on to verse 33, those that were in the boat. Anybody can sit in the boat. The disciples were sitting in the boat, and they maybe were thinking when Peter stepped over the side, how foolish of Peter to think that he can actually walk on water. That's ridiculous. And we're so quick, Warren Wiersbe says, to criticize Peter for sinking, but at least he tried. 
He made an attempt. He dared to be different. And at, at the Lord's invitation, he went over the side of that boat without hesitation. All too often, we sit in the boat or in the pew, and we criticize those who have stepped over the side and are making an attempt in faith, feeble and full of failure though it may be, but at least they're trying. They have obeyed God's command to come or to go. Jesus said, come, and they came. An attitude of willingness is more useful to God than my being super talented. William Carey put it this way, expect great things of God and attempt great things of God. Let's step out in faith. Let's step out of our comfort zone with a faith that has only Jesus as its focus, always remembering that Jesus' hand is always there, ready to steady us and to keep us from sinking. And let's worship him for who he is and for what he has done and continues to do for us. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, this morning for the, uh, for the assurance that we have that you are always there for us, whether in the calm or in the storm. Help us to keep our eyes on you and not on the distractions all around us. Make us obedient to your call, knowing that with you all things are possible. May we not rely on our own strength, but on you. I pray for those who may be present here this morning who are experiencing a storm in their lives. May they grasp your hand and walk through this storm with you. And may our praise and our worship be only for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.